Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Matthew, Will, we're going back to the same passage of Scripture that uh, we dealt with last week. I'm going to do it again because I want to take a look at another piece of scripture within this passage, a phrase that Jesus used in his response to Peter. But let's read it again quickly and uh, then note uh, beginning. We'll just start with the 17th verse. Just Jesus' response to Peter when he said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shalt be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Last week, we basically dealt with the statement that Jesus made in the 17th verse to Simon, or to Peter, as we know him. You will recall that Jesus asked his disciples what people were saying about him. And after they'd made their responses on this subject, Jesus turns to his disciples and said, All right, but of whom do you say that I am? And Peter made the response for the group and said that, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said that I say unto you that on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the 19th verse, he says he's going to give unto somebody the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's the subject for next week. Keys to the kingdom. This morning, I'd like for us to look at that portion of Jesus' response in the 18th verse when he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have entitled the message this morning, Whose Church Is It? Whose Church Is It? Very frequently, when I go to, to certain meetings, as the pastor of this church, and there is a reference made to the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church. Somebody will say that's Jim Sheets' church. And I take a certain amount of pride in this church being recognized as mine. Uh, you probably have said on more than one occasion, it's my church. And I've said it's my church. And in fact, it is. If you're a member of this church, it's your church. But for us to identify it as belonging to some human being brings us up short-sighted. In that Jesus said, it's my church. He was the one that built it. 
Uh, we could go back somewhere in uh, the history of this church and we probably could identify some people who were responsible for its organization. I know we can do that. We can identify who the constructors were of the building. And we could say that it belongs to those people because they had such a tremendous hand in it. But Jesus said, it's my church. And he makes no bones about it. It doesn't belong to you, nor to me. It belongs to the Lord. Over in the uh, uh, book of Acts in the 20th chapter, and if you would like to go over there with me for just a moment, we'll see an interesting passage of scripture. Chapter 20, verse 28. And this is Paul speaking. In the 28th verse, he says, Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So whose church is it again? We could say it's the church of God. And some denominations use that phrase, and that's perfectly all right. But I want you to notice that it is an organization that belongs to Jesus Christ. Why? Paul says because he purchased it with his blood. The responsibility that I have as pastor, Brother Clarence has, uh, all of you have as members of this church, is identified in the early portion of this phrase when he says, our responsibility is to feed the church. It's not ours, it belongs to the Lord. Our job is to feed it. I take this charge fairly seriously. And I hope you recognize that my teaching and preaching I don't take lightly, but believe it is my responsibility to feed you. In order that together we might grow. And I'm sure Brother Clarence Stratton has done that. And those of you who teach Sunday school classes, I hope you recognize that your responsibility is to dish out the word so that people might be fed and grow. Sometimes we're so short-sighted in our ministry that we don't really give anybody something to feed upon. A good friend of mine said to me one time when, he, when I asked him if he went to church this morning and he said, no, he didn't go. And I asked him why he didn't go, and he said, because I'm not being fed there. And he was searching someplace where he could find some spiritual nourishment. The responsibility that we have is to nourish the church. It belongs to the Lord. If you'll go to 1 Corinthians with me for a moment, in the 6th chapter, we find something else very important, I think. Chapter 6, verse 17. This church belongs to the Lord 
And here's the reason it does. At least one of the reasons in verse 17. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We who are members of the church, not the Olive Branch Baptist Church, but the church, and I'll deal with that term a little bit later, we are a part of the body of Christ. We are all have all been brought together and made of one body. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord, and we certainly can say one spirit with each other. We are a part of him. In Hebrews, and you need not turn there, but in the second chapter, the 11th verse, there is the passage of Scripture that refers to the fact that Jesus, and here's the phrase, is not ashamed to be called the brethren. To call them brethren is the actual King James statement, I think. In the 16th verse of that same chapter, we find the words that he is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, the Lord looks with high regard upon his church. He's not ashamed to be identified with us. We are a part of his body. We are, he is not ashamed to be called our God. What I'm saying to you is, when you talk about the church, you're talking about Jesus Christ, and he does not take it lightly. A conversation about one is conversation about the other, for we are all together a part of him, and he is a part of us. He's our God, he's our Lord, and he's not ashamed to be identified with us in that regard. In the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, in the fourth verse, you will find a statement about Jesus talking to Paul on the road to Damascus. You remember Saul, before he became Paul, was a persecutor of the church. He was going out and finding all the Christian people that he could find and putting them in bonds. Uh, taking them back before the Sanhedrin and having them uh, tried and put in prison and many of them were executed for their faith and Paul was wreaking out uh, all of this agony upon the church and suddenly on the road to Damascus a voice out of heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church in our terms. But Jesus said, you persecute my church, you persecute me. The church is an organism that Jesus established, as we noted last week, upon himself and made it a strong body at the institution of the Lord's Supper on that final night that the Lord had with his disciples before his trial and execution took some bread and some wine and uh, at the close of the meal and handed it to them and said 
here, eat this. This is my body. Drink. This is my blood. What was he saying? Make me a part of you as I am a part of you. I know it's spoken about the Jews, but in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2 and verse 8, the Lord's words come through clear when Zechariah said, He that touches you touches the apple of his eye. You know what the apple of your eye is? It's your pupil. Let me tell you, nobody touches your eyeball without your knowing it. Even if it happens in the nighttime, you're going to know about it. You will become immediately awake. I'll never forget, one night Cricket got, woke up, still asleep, took her two fingers and went, Wango! Right into my eyes. And there I about did it myself. And let me tell you, she got my attention immediately. I came out of that bed, scared to death, you know what was going on there, she sat looking at me. Two fingers. When you touch the eyeball, you get somebody's attention. And God said, he who touches you, touches my eyeball. And he's going to take note that nobody Nobody messes with his prize and joy without his recognition. And at some point in time, his response. You've said more than one time about some prize possession. You've touched that and you lose your arm. You ever said that? What we mean is, hands off, that's mine. Nobody messes with it. And God said, my church is mine. It's mine. Okay. Ephesians. If you want to go there. Chapter 5. Verse 22. In this particular passage of Scripture, Paul is trying to teach the proper relationship between husbands and wives. And I'm not dealing with that subject. But in order to teach this relationship, what he does is identify the type of relationship that Jesus and the church have. And uses this as an illustration. I want you to look at the relationship here in these verses between the church and the Lord. In verse 23, he calls, uh, Paul calls Christ the head of the church. He's the one to whom we answer. In the, in the same verse, he calls himself the Savior of the body. In verse 24, the church is subject unto Christ. In verse 25, Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. In verse 26, he has washed the church with the water of the word. I would 
want to make a note here. We are washed in the blood, but washed with the word. And there is a distinction. The thing that cleans up our lives and takes out those episodes that are contrary to God is the conviction that comes into our lives as we see his word. We're saved by his blood, but we live by the word. And this is his message to us. And we are convicted over and over again that our lives are not right because they do not correspond to the word. And a person who's not convicted of his sins in his lives has not paid too much attention to God's word. That's its purpose, to wash us clean of our sins. And verse 27, for what purpose? That he might present it, that is the church, to himself, a glorious church. Listen, we're a mess today as far as the church is concerned. We get all kinds of charges and accusations thrown at us as to how sinful we are and how weak we are and how impure we are and, and all of these things. And those charges are certainly accurate. But the Lord hasn't given up on us. And the day's coming when we're going to be bathed in glory and stand with him before the throne of God to be married as the bride to Christ, the bridegroom. Well, let's move on. I want you to notice something else that he says here in identifying uh, his statement to uh, the disciples. He said that upon this rock I will build my church, singular. Now we talk about churches. The word church is ecclesia, which really means, that's a Greek word, meaning the called out ones. In the early history of the church, there was no identifications as to denominations. They didn't start out with a Baptist church and a Methodist church and a Presbyterian and a Catholic and on and on. That's, that's something that's happened uh, since then. They simply were identified as the people of the way. The people of the way. And they were people who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, listen, anybody who has received Jesus Christ into his life as Lord and Savior is a part of the body. Whether he is a Baptist, a Methodist, a Church of Christ, or a Catholic, or whatever denomination he might be, whether he is black or white or yellow, whether he speaks English or German or Chinese or whatever language it might be, whatever he might wear as clothing and whatever method he might use in his manner of worship. He might be from the most primitive tribes of the earth who sit in thatched hoods or, uh, huts or out in the open and still praise God or in the highest temples in the world with all the fancy paraphernalia and the preacher way up high in a fine robe and all of these things. Anybody in any shape who claims Jesus Christ as Savior is a part of the body. We have no corner on the market, nor does any other denomination don't let any church tell you 
that you've got to be a member of their denomination to be saved because it just is not so. And the Bible will back me up. That's all that matters is what the Bible says. It's those people who have accepted Jesus' blood that dripped from the cross as the cleansing of their sins that are part of this group. Now, I'm not advocating non-denominational churches. Don't misunderstand me. I think we need our denominational affiliation. As a matter of fact, this started probably, for the most part, in the 1500s, when Martin Luther particularly tacked his theses on the door of the church and disagreed with the church leaders and started what is called the Protestant Reformation. We are protesters. It doesn't take very long to find out that we're protesters. <coughs> we still protest. And Martin Luther and others protested the established church. And then somebody protested and protested. And we're still protesting. That's why we have all these denominations. Because we protest all the time. It's good, but there are some, some pitfalls in it. Somebody asked the preacher one time what he would be if he weren't a Baptist. And he, I've probably told you this before. And he said, I'd be ashamed. <laughs> well, let me tell you. What would I be if I weren't a Baptist? I think I'd have to fall in that line. But I'm not saying by that that others don't have some uh, good things as well. I believe that the American Baptist churches of the USA are as close to the basic principles of the word as can be found. If I didn't believe that, I'd find me another one somewhere. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it and stick to it. And Baptists in general certainly have, as far as I'm concerned, a closer corner on what the truth is than anybody else. But that doesn't mean that the people and the Presbyterian and the Methodist and the Catholic that believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior are not my brothers, because they are. Okay. Now, let's continue and close out here with the, the statement, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's what he says, isn't it? We talked a little bit about that last week. I want to expand on that a little bit. Normally, when we think of uh, this phrase, we're talking about the gates of hell as being that power that's going to come out of hell and try to take over the church. And you can bet that the devil is trying to put the church out of business. Why wouldn't he be trying to put the church out of business? He's in a battle with God, and he wants to discredit God in any way he possibly can. And here is a body that Jesus said, I am putting all of my confidence in to carry on my work. I'm going to deal with that subject next week. But, we must recognize that we are certainly uh, having to fight the devil over in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul said to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan is going to throw stuff at us 
in order to discredit us and tear us down, and he will bring his people into the church and try to tear it apart. He will put his preachers in the pulpit and in the Sunday school classes and make them deacons and choir leaders and all the other things wherever he can find an inroad to destroy, discredit the church. It doesn't take the world long to look at a, a church member and know whether they're Christian or not. And it oughtn't to take us long. We ought to know by the evidence that we can see as to whether a person is genuine or whether he's a fake. But we are to recognize that the wiles of the devil are going to come out against us, but that's not what he's talking about here. Gates are not uh, instruments of war. Gates are instruments of impounding. You put up a gate to keep something out or something in, one of the two. What's he talking about here? Over in Romans 6, 6 9, uh, you want to go there, I, I know that it takes a little time to do all of this running back, but I think we need the verses. In Romans 6, 9, we have these words, Know that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Now, there's two things that we can notice there. First of all, death did have power over Jesus Christ. We are, find that word, identified throughout the scripture, that the great enemy that we have to face is the enemy of death. Satan wants to kill, not just the body, but he wants to kill the soul and take it and see that it is cast into eternal damnation because he doesn't want God to have us. That's why Jesus died on the cross, and in that moment of time, he died and Satan had his control. But notice what it said. Death no more has dominion. No more. He conquered death. What is it that he died on the cross? He descended to hell and he ascended back out of hell. He burst wide open the gates of hell and took a captivity captive, the scripture said. It couldn't hold him, nor could it hold believers. Satan will try to put the gates of hell around anybody that he possibly can get them around. And Jesus said in John 14, 19, Because I live, you shall live also. There is no control that Satan has over our lives once we have given ourselves to Jesus Christ. But the person who has not submitted himself to the will of the Lord Jesus is under the control of Satan and the gates of hell will hold him. Will hold him. Acts 2.24 Whom God hath raised, referring to Jesus, whom God hath raised, having loosed Pains of death. First Corinthians, and now I'll close. 
chapter 15, a very familiar passage to you, I'm sure. Paul speaking. Verse 54. So then this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. No more control. No more control. The gates of hell were not strong enough to hold Christ in, and the gates of hell cannot be put across our lives when they're swallowed up in Christ Jesus. He said, upon this rock I build my church. Gates of hell not going to hold it. Are you a part of the church? I didn't say you're a member of the Olive Branch Baptist Church. I'm asking, are you a member of the church? Have you put your life into the life of Christ? If so, he conquered death for you. He died for you. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But if you're not a part of the body of Christ, the gates of hell will hold you. And hold you until the day of judgment when the gates will be opened and everyone will be ushered into the presence of God. And there standing before the Lord Jesus Christ will give an account of his life to be condemned to the lake of fire. This morning, we need to know whether we're a part of the church that was founded upon the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.